Welcome to Russian History Retold. Episode 259, Prince Andrei Kurbsky and the Chosen Council. Last time, we covered the Streltsy, the musketeers that Ivan IV created to protect him and help expand the Russian Empire. Today, we stay in the same time period to talk about the men who shaped the early reign of Ivan the Terrible. The reason I'll be starting with Prince Andrei Mikhailovich Kurbsky is that he was the one who coined the term Chosen Council. His supposed correspondence with Tsar Ivan IV is our most detailed insight into Ivan's rule. I say supposed because there is a current historical debate questioning whether these letters between the two men actually happened. Some scholars believe that the correspondence was actually a 17th century forgery. The ramifications of this controversy lay a considerable shadow over our true knowledge of Ivan and his reign. It is some of the only contemporary historical material we have. So if they are forgeries, we may not be getting the true story of Ivan, who may have not been so terrible after all. Andrei Kurbsky was born in 1528, the exact day and month we do not know, to a family of Rurikid princes, which got its name from the town of Kurba near Yaroslavl. Being from the boyar class, he likely had a very good education, especially in military matters. Kurbsky would make his first impressions during the Russo-Kazan Wars, which began in 1439 and would not end until 1552. The first phase of the war was fought by the troops of Vasily II. The Golden Horde, which had subjugated the people and the land of the Rus since 1240, had begun to break up into separate khanates during the reign of Vasily. Still, the remnants of the Horde would be a formidable foe for the Russians for more than another century. In 1445, an army led by Vasily attacked and defeated the Kazan Tatars in battle. War broke out when Khan Maksmut captured the strategic fortress of Nizhny Novgorod and invaded Muscovy. Vasily II gathered up his army and seemingly vanquished the Tatars near Murom and Gorohovets. Vasily believed he had won the war, so he triumphantly disbanded his forces and returned to Moscow. When he returned, he learned that the Tars had besieged Nizhny Novgorod once again. Raising a new army, Vasily marched towards Suzdal, where he met with the Russian generals who had surrendered Nizhny. On June 6, 1445, the Battle of Kamenka River near the walls of St. Ephemius Monastery ensued. The battle was a significant victory for the Tatars, who took Vasily II prisoner. It took four months and enormous ransom to recover the monarch from captivity. This was amid an internecine civil war that threatened to destroy the entirety of the Russian state of Muscovy. Ivan III, also known as Ivan the Great, would continue in his fight against the Kazan Khanate. There would be a series of battles and wars, 
beginning with the Qasim War of 1467 to 69, the Siege of Kazan in 1487, the Battles of Arsk Field in 1506, and then the Wars of Vasily III from 1521 until his death in 1533. Most of the damage done to Russia by the Khanate was in the cities of Nizhny Novgorod, Morom, Vyatka, Vladimir, Kostroma, and Galich. It is here that the infant son of Vasily III, Ivan IV, would become the Grand Prince of Moscow. His handlers would continue to skirmish with the Kazan Tatars. It is during this time that we meet Andrei Kurbsky again. He would be involved extensively in the final push against the fortress city of Kazan. Before they reached the city, the 150,000-strong army of Ivan, led by Prince Alexander Gorbaty Shuisky, with the help of Prince Kurbsky, vanquished an army sent by the Crimean Khanate under Devlet Girey near Tula before turning to the east. Kurbsky would become a close friend and associate of Ivan IV because of his bravery and skill during the Siege of Kazan in 1552. While the threat from this branch of the Horde would last until 1556, it was the end of their incursions into Russian territory. Following the successful defeat of Kazan, Astrahan was defeated in 1556, which closed one of the largest slave trade sites in the region. Kurbsky would also be involved in this action, further ingratiating himself with Ivan. During the Kazan siege, Kurbsky and Prince Michael Voronitsky would lead their men with great honor and valor. This was a critical stage as during the existence of the Khanate, which stretched from 1438 to 1552, Russian forces besieged Kazan at least 10 times, all failures. The problem that the three Khanates created for Muscovy was that they would raid the lands around the city, capturing many of the residents to sell on the slave markets in Constantinople. Winning the siege of Kazan did not end the threat, since there was a great deal of resistance in the surrounding countryside. A garrison of 18,000 men was left to Kazan to fight the Tatar horde that remained in the forests. Fighting would continue almost every day for the next four years. In the sometimes fierce battles, 10,000 Tatar men were killed, 6,000 were captured, along with 15,000 women and children. 1,600 leading Tatars were put to death, eventually leading to the resistance end. And the defeat of the Astrahan Khanate was the final blow to the holdouts around Kazan. In the aftermath of the defeat, the Tsarist administration prohibited the Tatars, Chuvash and Mari, from settling along rivers and cities and engaging in blacksmith and jewelry crafts. As a result, settlements in the specified zone were destroyed or relocated. After his conquest of Kazan, Ivan IV is said to have ordered the crescent, a symbol of Islam, to be placed underneath the Christian cross on the domes of Orthodox Christian churches. St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow commemorates the conquest of Kazan. 
after the defeat of two of the three Khanates in the south, Ivan and Kurbsky set their sights on the Livonians to the east. This would precipitate the Livonian War, which would be fought between 1558 and 1583. The Livonian War was a conflict between the Tsardom of Russia, facing a varying coalition of the Dano-Norwegian realm, the Kingdom of Sweden, and the Union, later Commonwealth, of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania and the Kingdom of Poland. At first, the Russians had the upper hand with early military successes at Dorpath, now known as Tartu and Narva. This caused the Livonian Federation to collapse, which Tsar Ivan thought was the end of it and guaranteed him victory. But, unfortunately, that was not the case, as it brought in new enemies, such as the Swedes and Denmark-Norway, and motivated the Lithuanians and Poles to formalize their Commonwealth status. In the midst of the Livonian War, Andrei Kurbsky and Ivan would have a falling out. Ivan, for some reason, did not renew Andrei's commission. Now, we're not sure why he failed to recommission such an accomplished officer, but he did it anyway. There is speculation that the two of them got into a rather heated argument about Ivan's ideas that he needed to enter into a period of repression against the boyars. One of the likely reasons for the split between the two was Ivan's insistence that Russia continues a war that Kurbsky knew in his heart that they could not win. Kurbsky also known, knew that despite winning the battles against the Khanates of Kazan and Nastrahan, they had not dealt with the most powerful of them all, the Crimean Khanate. The Russo-Crimean Wars would rage on and off between 1507 and 1572. Finally, the Crimeans would attack Moscow in 1571, burning the city to the ground. Contemporaries counted up to 80,000 victims of the invasion that year, with 150,000 Russians taken as captives. Regardless of what the reasons were, Kurbsky defected to Lithuania on April 30, 1564, four years after the death of Ivan's wife, Anastasia Romanovna. This was a death that many historians cite as the breaking point in the Tsar's behavior. His wife had a calming effect on Ivan. With her gone, he would begin his reign of terror on the boyars known as the Oprachina. Kurbsky saw the writing on the wall and knew he was a prime target. So he decided, well, it was best to skip town and join the opposition. The correspondence between the two men, the supposed correspondence, is legendary and hints at the future rift between Joseph Stalin and Leon Trotsky, although neither of those two ever got along. Here's a sample exchange between the two men as reported by Martin Sixsmith in his book, Russia, A Thousand-Year Chronicle of the Wild East. Kurbsky would write, quote, To the Tsar, exalted by God, who formerly appeared most illustrious, but has now been found to be the opposite. May you, O Tsar, understand this 
with your leprous conscience. You have persecuted, persecuted me most bitterly. You have destroyed your loyal servants and spilled the blood of innocent martyrs. You have answered my love with hatred, good with evil, and my blood, spilt for you, cries out against you to the Lord God. Ivan replied contemptuously, quote, To him who is a criminal before the blessed cross of our Lord, was trodden underfoot all sacred commands, and completed the treachery of a vicious dog. In view of the power handed down to me by my God, it is a sign of a leprous conscience to hold my kingdom in my hand and not let my servants rule? The autocracy of this great Russian kingdom has come down to me by the will of God, and it is the Russian autocrat who from the very beginning has ruled all his dominions, not boyars and not grandees. For the rule of many is like unto the folly of women. For if men are not under one single authority, even if they are strong, even if they are brave, it will still be like the folly of women. The Russian land is ruled by us, its sovereign, and we are free to reward our servants and we are free to punish them. And the rule of a czar calls for fear and terror and extreme suppression. Now you read that, hear that, no wonder centuries later Stalin would admire Ivan's work. To quote Sixsmith yet again, noting the movie about Ivan the Terrible made during his reign by Eisenstein, quote, the record of his remarkable conversation with Sergei Eisenstein suggests that he saw himself as a modern-day Ivan the Terrible, doing whatever was necessary for the good of the nation, untroubled by considerations of justice and morality. He approved of Ivan's willingness to murder his rivals and reproached him only for praying and repenting. God disturbed him too much in this manner. He ought to have been more decisive. That's what Stalin said. In his copy of a biography of Genghis Khan, Stalin underlined the sentence, The death of the vanquished are necessary for the tranquility of the victors. Kerbsky would lead a Lithuanian contingent against Ivan's army in late 1564, devastating the region of Veliki Luki. He was rewarded with the town of Koval in Ukraine by Sigismund II August, king of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Andrei Kerbsky would live the rest of his life peacefully, defending his Orthodox subjects from Polish encroachments. Kerbsky thus became the first Russian political emigre, he would die in 1583 at the age of 55. Next are the chosen council members who helped rule and advise Ivan IV during the early years of his reign. The chosen council, as it was named by Kurbsky, were the men who Ivan chose to help reform the laws of Muscovy to diminish the growing power of the aristocracy known as the boyars. We know from the abuses Ivan and his brother Yuri endured 
because of the infighting between the numerous Boyar clans. This would instill in Ivan a deep hatred for the autocracy. The reforms of 1550 were spurred on by the first person we will talk about. While not a council member, he was a significant influence on their work. The man would be Metropolitan Makari, also known as Makarios. Born in 1482, Makari became a monk at the St. Pafinutius Monastery in Borovsk, where he would serve as a reader, subdeacon, deacon, and then priest. It was here that Makari mastered the art of icon painting. He would become a master politician during his years of service to the Russian Orthodox Church. Makari would have an uncanny gift of knowing who to back and who to ostracize during his lifetime. When Grand Prince Vasily III wanted a divorce from his barren wife, Solomonia Saborova, one of the few clerics to back it was Makari. He would also bless Vasily's second marriage to Elena Glinskaya. This would make him some very powerful enemies, but his attachment to the Grand Prince would protect him. By 1526, Makari was appointed Archbishop of Novgorod, where he promoted pro-Muscovite policies. He and other monks helped create and finish the great Minaeon Reader. This was a compilation of the lives of the Russian saints prior to his side and time, which compromised 12 volumes arranged on a monthly basis. He is also credited with the beginning of the Stepanyanya Kniga, which is the Book of Degrees of Royal Genealogy, which traced Ivan the Terrible's linkage or lineage to a fictitious brother of Caesar Augustus named Prus. With the support of powerful Prince Andrei Shuisky, Makari was elected Metropolitan of Moscow and of all of Russia on March 16th, 1542. During this period, Shuisky was one of the boyars who would serve as one of the regents for Ivan. However, Makari would soon make the boyar one of his enemies, which, in turn, endeared him with Ivan. On January 16, 1547, Metropolitan Makari presided over the coronation of Ivan IV as Tsar of all Russia. While his grandfather, Ivan III, was the first to call himself Tsar, Ivan IV would use it consistently. Makari would also bless the Tsar's marriage to Anastasia Romanovna Zakharina Yurieva. Makari would also be heavily involved in the first Zemsky Sabors of 1547, 49, and 50. These were like a parliament of Russia really meant to rubber stamp the proposals of the Tsar. They would craft the reforms that Ivan wanted to create in order to rein in the power of the boyars. Makari was the one who would try to bring the opposing boyar groups together through conciliation. It would not work out as planned, as Ivan would begin his oppressive oprachnina to suppress those who opposed him. Makari would be named the interim head of state in 1559 when Ivan was off to fight the Kazan Khanate. In his later years, 
Makari would be involved in the creation of the Stepanyanya Kniga, or the Book of Generations, as well as supporting Ivan Fyodorov's book printing and renovation of icons. Makari would pass away on January 12, 1563, at the age of 81. The next counselor and member of the Chosen Council is one of the most important, Alexei Fyodorovich Adashev. Born in 1510, almost nothing is known about his early life except that he was born into a boyar family from Kostroma. Fyodor Grigorovich Adashev's father was a well-known diplomat who led a mission to the Ottoman Empire in 1538. There is some evidence that Alexei would accompany his father on the trip, which was common during this era. We first hear about Alexei himself in 1547 at the Zemsky Sbor. He would become a member of the Duma, a position usually held only by the highest ranks of the boyar class. This indicates that Ivan likely elevated Alexei, as his family was only a member of a modest class of nobles. His role in the early years of Ivan's reign was quite extensive. Not only was he deeply involved in the reform legislation, but Adeshev was also a statesman involved in domestic and foreign policy conduct. Over the coming years, Alexei would continue to have a great deal of influence in the court of Tsar Ivan IV. When the Tsar's wife Anastasia died in 1560, things took a turn for the worse for Adeshev. He was given command of the military units during the Livonian War, in which he performed poorly. This, along with Ivan's change in personality, would bring an end to not only Alexei's time in the court of the Tsar, but would also cause him to have his life taken from him. In 1561, Adeshev was imprisoned in Dorpat, fell ill, and died. There is evidence that he was actually lucky to have had this fate, as his brother Daniel was executed the following year, along with his son Tark. Many others in the Adeshev clan were executed and tortured during the Oprachnina. Our last member of the Chosen Council is the priest Sylvester. Unfortunately, very little of the early and mid part of his life is known, as he only appears in the history of Ivan when he was in his 50s, around 1547. What we do know about him is that he was very close and he was a trusted confidant of the young Tsar. While not his confessor, Sylvester exerted significant influence in the court, especially in the spiritual realm. At one time, he was the Archbishop of Novgorod, but was called to Moscow by Metropolitan Makari. For many years, Sylvester and Adeshev would have a significant influence on both domestic and foreign policy. Unfortunately, Sylvester would make a calculated mistake in how he viewed the Tsarina's family, the Narishkins. The court intrigue surrounding Sylvester and his deteriorating position in the Tsar's court would cause him to be banished to the Kirillo belozorsky Monastery in the north of Russia. We lost contact with him in the historical records of 1561. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we cover an entirely new subject, 
The 13 Lovers of Catherine the Great. But before we go, I want to make this announcement again. I belong to the Rotary Club of International Exchange, and we're trying to raise money through a GoFundMe account to try to bring a student from either Europe or Asia to the United States to have them learn about our culture and we learn about theirs. And we're trying to raise a few thousand to pay for the expenses of having this person come over here. It is a way of developing world peace where we get to know what other countries are like, what other peoples are like, where we can learn this. And maybe maybe one day with Russia and Ukraine, we can do the same with them because as we know about them, we know who they are and maybe have a better view of each other in the future. So all you have to do is go to GoFundMe.com and search for the Rotary Club of International Exchange. And if you can make any donation, even a small one, three, five dollars, whatever you can, would be greatly appreciated. And I want to thank one of my listeners who made a very generous donation to the uh, cause recently. So thank you very much. So, as always, das vidanya y spasiba za vinya manya.